So this morning uh, is special because I have some family members uh, with us. You guys know my wife, Jenny? Yes? Remember her? Yes. Great gal, right? Yeah? Yes? That's when you say yes? Yeah? Uh, this is my wife's uh, younger sister, Shelly, one of her younger sisters and her husband, Craig Schaefer. And I'm going to invite them up now. Would you guys welcome them? They're going to share a story with you. And this time, we, uh, we have your picture of your beautiful family. So uh, I'll give you just a brief synopsis of what they do, and then they're going to kind of tell you a story um, of getting to where they're at now, leading up to where they're at now and what they do. But uh, Craig and Shelley are with New Tribes, formerly New Tribes, now some cool new name. Uh, Ethnos 360. Oh, your mic got muted. They decided after first service, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, they're like, nope, Craig can't have a mic. I didn't use it first. <laughs> That's right. You kept it in your lap. This is a part of the service where Scott very helpfully scurries around to fix the problem. Give it up for Scott Fraley. <laughs> He's going to come back later. So uh, Ethnos 360 is uh, what uh, New Tribe's mission is now called. Uh, Craig and Shelley for the last, um, and it's been almost 20 years since the very beginning of your journey, um, are working uh, with an unreached uh, people group um, uh, to not only bring the gospel message, uh, but to bring the written word of God uh, to that group. And so uh, I'm going to have them share with you a little bit about the process of getting to where they're, they're at now, and then also some of the stories of the last couple of years of ministry there. So the way that it works uh, with New Tribes is you, uh, you hold out a map, you close your eyes, and you put your finger on it, and then they drop you by helicopter into that region, and you just start preaching the word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so there's the process of preparation. Uh, actually a fairly extensive process of preparation. So walk us through the details of that. What led you from uh, beginning to respond to the call of God in your life? Uh, you're Michigan born and raised, right? Yep, born and raised in Michigan. Yep. Shelly and I actually have a similar background. We both grew up uh, overseas in the Philippines, both children of missionary families. Um, so walk us through the process of from, from start until you end up in the location where God has called you to uh, spread or preach the gospel. Okay. Um, yeah, so it started out very, I mean, it started out a little bit differently for us. Um, that's part of our testimony that you could ask us about later. But basically, once we got to the point where we wanted to uh, get into missions work, we started out with Bible school. Um, we got two years of training in, in biblical education, which was very valuable, um, which was just an awesome time. And then after that, we have two years of more um, the practical uh, side of missions. So the first, so we did two years of Bible school. The third year, we did more of the practical side of missions, um, how to live in a remote location, uh, trying to just get used to some of the things that can be difficult to live with, uh, living in a third world country. Um, and then the fourth year, uh, we went to our, what we call our language school, and that's where we didn't l actually learn a language there, but they, we learned the, we, the principles, I guess, to learning an unwritten 
um, language that has never been learned by anybody from the outside. It's a different process than the Rosetta Stone, as we uh, mentioned right. before. Right. <laughs> so um, your third year of training, this is one of my more enjoyable parts. You okay. practice living in the jungles by living in the wilderness of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> Building a shelter, living yep. without uh, utilities, resources. Yep. And after that, you were fully prepared. After that, it's like, what else can go? You know, it's, that's we're right. ready for anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so four years of training, and then what follows that? So four years of training, and then uh, after that, a year of what we call partnership development, where we partnered with churches, individuals, in order to be supported to go over and do what we're doing um, uh, now. After a year, uh, we moved to Asia Pacific, um, a region in Asia Pacific, uh, where we began our work over there. The first year and a half, we learned the national language of that, of that country, um, and yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be careful on that. So, so yeah, as you'll hear later in the story, uh, there has been a tremendous amount of adversity and pushback to the gospel message where they're at. And because this is being recorded, uh, they're going to be a little bit uh, vague in giving identifiers to their specific location. So, yeah. so we took a year and a half to learn the national language. Um, and that was more of just your typical process of learning a, another foreign language. It was classroom setting. Um, that's, so it went a little bit quicker, a year, year and a half of that. And then we moved, um, in the country that we were at, we moved to a specific region in that, uh, in that country where we began to do surveys to decide, you know, there's so many needs over there. And so we began to survey different areas of where we felt, you know, God was really calling us. I mean, it was, it was you almost could take a map and just point to a place and say, okay, let's go share the gospel there. Uh, but we tried to be a little bit more strategic than just that. Uh, but it took about, yeah, probably eight to nine months of doing these surveys to really figure out where, you know, where we felt the biggest need was and where God was calling us. So you moved into the region, into a, a city in that region, mm -hmm. and then from that you did visits to yeah. various remote locations to try yeah. to land on a specific area where you would go. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we did six different uh, visits, which they were about uh, one to two week trips each time in these areas, walking around, hiking through to find out, you know, where are the biggest needs, where there was needs everywhere, but yeah. where the biggest needs were. So. And then you, you guys picked a location and uh, moved, then began the process of moving into that location. You bought a condominium uh, for your family nice to live one. in, a yeah. nice condominium, that's right. No, so you moved into um, an area where there's uh, a language that's spoken by how many people, the language group in total? Okay, there's about 5,000 people. They're hamlet people, so they live in little hamlets all over, but basically the, the valleys that speak this language are about 5,000. About 5,000 yeah. people, and you said in about 12 different specific, yeah. like, villages. Uh, villages. Kind of. yeah. 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 So you moved in, and what did that look like for your family as far as moving into an, uh, an extremely remote and difficult-to-access location? There's no way to get into this location except by helicopter. So it's up in the mountains. So we had to, basically we had someone come in and chainsaw our wood, which you're better at describing it, but they just freehand chainsaw slabs of wood. And um, 
took a while because it is pretty mountainous, so stuff, you know, you lose your logs all the way down. But um, <laughs> it right. took a lot longer than I they I hate it think. when I'm building a house and I lose my logs all the all way the down time. the mountain. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> so, so quick story, actually, we did have our, the guy cutting the wood for us. We came in to check on him and he was like, he's like, I'm sick of it. I've lost so many trees into the river, like 1,500 feet down below. Like, How did that happen? It's so steep. He'd cut a tree, and if he didn't wedge it in there just right, zing, it's gone. <laughs> so, anyway, so he, we, it took a little longer and some bribing to keep him there, a little extra incentive, but he stayed long enough for us to get enough wood to build a house and our other coworkers as well. Um, but other than the wood, everything had to be helicoptered in, sling-loaded sling in, and um, so that took a while, a little, um, yeah, planning. We have yeah. solar, solar power, trying to get water from a spring, all of that stuff that entailed when you live off the grid. Um, but it took, I don't know how long, maybe you know better? Yeah, about eight months. About eight, about eight yeah. months to get set up and living in there where we could start beginning our... And you had one criteria before moving into yes. that home. I said, I want a, a toilet in the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was picky, my... Picky, picky, picky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want Actually, a toilet in the house. half the people here live out East End, and they don't have toilets in their houses. <laughs> yeah. either, so. Most people understand me, but maybe right. not over here. <laughs> so the, uh, if the, the timing I have correct, from the time that you began training to the time that you were in the location where you were going to be ministering was approximately eight years. And then you begin another process because you're not prepared at that point to begin uh, sharing the message. So now tell us about the process of getting ready to share the message, what that consists of. Um, so yeah, once we finally get moved into the village, we're set up, you know, we have our house ready to live. Um, we are living among a people who do not speak the national, <clears throat> excuse me, the national language very well at all. They have their own native language, and so once again we start the language learning process. Um, except this is a language that is very different than the national language. Uh, this is a language that's never been written down before. It's never been learned uh, by an outsider before, and so. Um, you know, there's no grammar books you can flip open. There's no right. dictionary. How do I say this? Um, yeah, no alphabet. There's uh, never been written down before. So there's no alphabet in the language. And so, yeah, it, it, it was a little bit of a process. Um, very, a, a process very similar to our kids, uh, to how our kids learn our language. You know, starting out with very simple things. The first two phrases we learned is, What's that? And what's this? And you just, what's this? What's this? What's this? And you did recording, taking pictures, lots of memorization. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a fairly long process, about three and a half years of doing that every day um, before we were able to, we were considered fluent in the language enough to be able to start preparing for the gospel message. So, but even at that point, once you, once you know the language, you're not prepared then to share. There's some additional steps. So what does that look like? Yeah, so once you're done with language, you know, and it, this is a really hard point because you're, you're done with language. You're like, okay, ready, let's, let's go. Let's present the gospel. Well, there's, there's no Bible. There's, there's no scriptures in these people's language. So the first step is uh, our coworker, uh, they started translating uh, God's word into the people's language. Uh, while at the same time, um, our coworker's wife, she began 
uh, developing an alphabet for this language. So this language didn't have an alphabet, never yep. been written down. Right. So she began developing this alphabet for a language. Once she finished that, I took that and I started writing a curriculum, a literacy curriculum for the people so we could teach them to read and write in their own language. And all of this was, it, we, we find this very important as we, want, as we taught the people from God's word, we wanted them to be able to have God's word in front of them reading it for themselves so they weren't just trusting our words but they were trusting the word of god yeah um and so that was about a uh with literacy uh translation and then also getting a curriculum developed to be able to teach the people from god's word it was about a two-year process from the time we were actually fluent in the language to the time when we were able to stand up and say okay in the beginning god created the heavens right. and the earth yeah. so you and that's not the you didn't translate the bible that was just translating the key yeah. text yep. that you would be teaching from as yeah. you presented the scripture yeah so again this is uh, now you're 14 years in to yep. your your process and you're ready to uh share the share the gospel yep. and uh but that's not like we we hear we have gospel tracks right yeah yeah you're a sinner and you're doomed but jesus loves you so here we go that's not where you began your gospel presentation yeah. well we began in the beginning because it was crucial for these people who have a totally different way of viewing the world they look through a different i guess spiritual grid yeah um where they can please the spirits offer sacrifices and then these spirits will be uh, good to them or whatever. Yeah. So it was very crucial for them to understand exactly who God was, how holy, how perfect. He can't be appeased by human works. Anyway, that was very crucial. So we started in the beginning, presented God for who he was, presented man for who we are, what we did, how we're so separate, how there's no way to get back to that, and how God created a way for that. And so basically went from the very beginning all the way through and presented all the way up to Christ, his death, his resurrection. Um, and yeah, we found it was very important for these people even to see just how sinful God was. Men or man were, was, sorry, right, right. man was. <laughs> That's a different, different yeah. teaching. <laughs> we didn't we don't, present it that we way. We don't teach that here at Church on the Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you, you mentioned in the last service that you saw a response as you were teaching through the Old Testament with the people yeah. initially. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was so good as we got to uh, the book of Exodus and we presented to the people. We just, you know, we're teaching chronologically, so we're, I mean, we're not teaching every single passage, but we're teaching on key passages in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we got to the law and we, you know, we just went through the law and we, we taught it as, hey, guys, this is God's standard. Who can keep it? <laughs> and the obvious answer is none of us can keep God's law. Uh, well, this is the standard uh, to be able to be right with God. You have to be able to keep this law. Can we do it? No. And so one of the commandments that really hit them hard was, you know, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And for the core of people, ironically, they, they actually would take the Lord's name in vain in four different languages all in the same sentence. <laughs> Um, they were very creative with it, I just constantly. Um, and so as we presented that and said, hey, has anybody done that before? I was like, <laughs> like, actually, this, this is another little funny story on that. They would, as we taught on it, they, would, they were so overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed with something, you know, and you, and you swear a lot, you, that's the first thing out of your mouth. So they would say, oh my, 
oh, I just did it. <laughs> finally, right. some of them would just... They would just cover their mouths, and they were like, <laughs> I can't talk. And they were just really overwhelmed with, man, if this is the standard to be right with God, I'm doomed. And as we continued teaching, they continued to become more and more aware of their own sinfulness to the point where they were just overwhelmed with, man, we need somebody to help us. And they're like, that's right. We had them right where we wanted them. <laughs> that's right. So the story, and this is actually when I teach the gospel here, I always say the story gets worse before it gets better, right? Because you have to confront sin. Yeah. Uh, so then you got to the point of actually uh, sharing the gospel. And tell us about that and the response. Yeah, so once we got to, you know, to the end, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, um, the, it, yeah, the, the response was, it was really neat. It wasn't like an instantaneous response for everybody, but I would say in, in probably a span of two, two, two weeks to, to a month, um, just seeing people as we help them wrestle with the fact that, yes, God has paid your price. You know, Jesus' blood has paid for it all. You know, it was, their natural response was just blown away and then like, wait, really? Like, like but, but what do I need to do? Nothing. <laughs> it's, it's been paid. Oh, you know, and, and over this month, they were just come to grips with, no, really, it's, it's been paid. It's done. You are seen as a child of God based on the blood of Christ alone. It was just so neat to see that slowly sink into them and, and, and the change in their lives. Some of them very quickly, some slowly. Some people, even yeah. until today, you know, just uh, slowly coming to a deeper realization of what Christ has done for them. But it was pretty neat. I, I, I don't know initially how many people came to know Christ, um, uh, but I would say now probably between 50 to 60 people know Christ as their Savior. Yeah. And you said initially, this was in our previous conversation, one of the issues they had right after... Like coming to terms with the nature of, of salvation as it's provided to us is that they said we must no longer pray. Mm. And what was the connection there? So in their old uh, religious system, the things that connected them to God were the things that they did. Yeah. So, you know, giving of tithe, praying, going to church, those were the things that they were holding on to for their salvation. You know, why are you right with God? I go to church. I pray and those things, you know. And, and so when they came to an understanding of, no, you are right with God based on the blood of Jesus alone, they were holding on to that so strong that we had to kind of slowly help them understand that there are things we do out of our relationship with God, not to be, not to be brought into a relationship with God, yeah. but because of our relationship, like praying, coming before him. Um, and their first, I remember when I first taught about prayer, you know, so what do you guys think about prayer? This is the first time brand new baby believers and one of the guys, he's like, it's wrong. It's like, okay, uh, okay, we need to. But he was, in his mind, he was saying, prayer is not what makes me right before God. That's right. And I was like, okay, I'm, in that aspect, yes, it's Jesus' blood alone. Right. But, and, and so, you know, it's just so many things that we slowly had to begin teaching them and helping them understand things from a biblical perspective because so many of those uh I guess spiritual principles were so messed up in their mind from their former yeah. beliefs. Well, in cultic practice, prayer is a way yeah. of securing the favor of God, right? Yeah. To get God to do certain things, yeah. I must say certain things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so initial group of believers and uh, everyone in the surrounding area was just very excited for this new development. 
Not so much. (laughs) There were um, leaders in this. We kind of consider it a cult. It is a cult. And uh, there's leaders in there that had, some of them had attended the teaching and some of them actually became believers. And they were there to oppose it, but ended up becoming convinced. Some they, of them. Yeah, some, I mean, they were all curious, like, what yeah, is this yeah. talk? So they came, they listened, some left partially through because they realized where this was going. Some of them stayed and actually realized their sinfulness and became believers. And some of them stayed till the end and were pretty much enraged, I guess. So pretty much right after we presented Christ's death, burial, resurrection, um, they sat us all down and were like, we're talking over this. This, this, we don't want this here. And from that moment on, they started persecuting basically the believers, the ones, the leaders in this cult, basically threatening their wives that they can't come anymore, uh, taking their kids to other villages so they couldn't hear it. a lot of the men lost their positions and were basically shunned by the group there. Yeah, they, it started at that point on. They've and then because that wasn't entirely effective, they decided to hold a conference in your tribal location of all of the religious leaders. Yes, about three years ago, they usually have these conferences of these uh, cult leaders in all these bigger, bigger cities, towns, but they decided because this was, this group was here, these believers, they would fly people in. Remember, it's remote, so some of them had to hike in. Um, they, want, they flew all these big religious leaders in to throw up, put on this huge festivity. They brought in huge speakers, anything to cause an intimidation or to show the power of this cult. They intimidated the believers. They called some of the young girls in early in the morning and surrounded them, all these men. If you know this culture, women are really afraid of the men (laughs) in this culture, to intimidate them and try to pressure them back to the cult. And um, that's, it started there. We tried to, you know, talk with them. Finally, we had asked for an opportunity just to share what we were there. Finally, at the very end of this, what was it, like a four or five day, three day, three day conference, Everyone's drifting off. It's a mountainous village. It gets rainy, cloudy, and it was raining, drizzling, freezing cold. People are starting to drift back to their villages around this valley. Um, They finally say, okay, get up and share what you have to share. (laughs) So Craig got up. They had a a microphone, big speakers, and um, he started to just say that we came and we've done what we've told you guys we were going to do and basically started the gospel presentation like we cannot be right with God and that's what we came to tell you as soon as he said that there was a group in the corner that just started getting kind of rowdier started stringing their bow and arrows which means they're not happy at all with what he's saying yeah it's the same in church here when uh yeah that's how I know a sermon is not going well. They're stringing their bows. Jeff's in the back stringing a bow. That's right. But yeah, they started stringing their bows. Um, one guy was so angry, he started just shaking with rage and yelling. Um, it was really neat, though, for us to see the believers just got up and surrounded Craig and basically just started defending 
the message and defending him. And you could just see him. I mean, he towers above them <laughs> right in the middle with all of these people just surrounding him. And it was just really neat to see, see God work in them and see just this, oh, wow, there's definitely a power at work here. Yeah. And yeah, that's when it kind of, from then on, it, the tension and the persecution kind of built. So as it built, uh, it took on even a legal nature. Uh, you guys had to leave the area uh, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, a couple. I can't remember if it was, yeah, two, three times. Um, and then it escalated to a particular kind of threshold for you guys. Yeah, it, it got to the point where, yeah, he, there was different things that happened. They brought him before kind of a judge, a court. We, were, we had to defend ourselves in front of police and government officials. And finally, after doing this quite a few times, um, we came out for our missions conference out to town. And during that time, these head of this cult uh, snuck in and, ba and burnt down our house. We lost everything. And they were hoping by doing that, we wouldn't come back. <laughs> so that kind of created a whole new thing of, I mean, during this time we were getting threats on our life, threats on the believers' yeah. lives. So there was just this big like, ah, oh, what is the wise thing to do? You know, I'm just basically praying to God for strength and wisdom to continue moving forward if that's what he wanted. But yeah, basically at that point our house was burnt down and um, we were, I guess at that point, stuck in town for a while. Right. So then, from that point on, and this was just, the, the house burning was three, two years ago. Two years ago. Two yep. years ago. Yep. So then it was about a year mm -hmm. of trying to get, essentially, both legal permission to go back in and then also uh, reconstructing a home yeah. for you guys. Yep. You've been back in there a year now, is that correct? Yeah, about, yeah. Ten months, yeah. ten months to this point, yeah. So, so share with us uh, an example or two of the fruit that you've seen of the gospel bearing fruit in the lives of the people there. Yeah, it's it's been amazing to see what God has been able to do. Um, just through, you know, persecution is never fun. Uh, it's it was three years that were very difficult for us. But looking back on it. Um, I don't know if I can say this for both of us, but no, I think I can. But uh, we wouldn't have had it any other way. I mean, it's just, it was so difficult, but it was so neat to see what God has been, been doing through the persecution of the church. Just the, the strength of the believers, the, the digging into God's word, digging deep, holding and clinging so tight to Christ because they have nothing else. I mean, the, uh, the persecution that we have gone through with our house getting burnt down, it, it was tough. But that was kind of like one big incident. For the believers there, it's daily. It's being ridiculed by their family, being rejected by their family, which they live in a very, very communal society. So it's, it's, I think in some ways it's hard for us Westerners to really understand what it's like to have your family say, I don't want any part of you. Because they, they almost can't live individually. They are so communal. And so um, very, very tough. But to see them standing so strong uh, for the gospel, um, standing, I mean, sometimes it even amazes themselves. You know, they'll tell them, they'll tell us, like, I, I can't believe I'm able to stand so firm. And it's like, 
that's called the Holy Spirit in your life, right. you know. And that was something, too, that we've been able to do as we've got, we, we rebuilt and we're able to move back into the village. And the last thing we did before we came home is we finished our translation of Ephesians and we're able to teach them through the book of Ephesians. And that was just so neat to, to take them through some of those Christian life principles, you know, running them through the three, first three chapters of Ephesians about our position in Christ and then going through the next, the last three chapters of, okay, since this is your position, this is how you can live. This is what the Spirit wants to do through you. And they're just blown away like, wow, we can do that? Like, what, I mean, technically not you, but yes, the Holy Spirit can do it through you, you yeah. know? And it's been so neat to, to see the, the works of the Holy Spirit in them. Um, I know one guy, um, this was back actually before our house got burnt down. Uh, we just had like a, a teaching house. It was just basically a rough structure with a tarp over it. Um, and one of the first things the, uh, the cult people did, the cult leaders did, was they went in and they put a bunch of slashes in our, in our tarp, make them more difficult and kind of... Uh, say, hey, we don't like you here. And the next thing after that, after we just kept meeting there and didn't really pay attention to it, they tore the whole thing down. Um, and I remember one of the believers coming up to me, he says, Craig, you know, what they, you know what they think they just did? He said, they think they just tore down God's temple. Because in the cult leader's mind, that was, you know, this is like, we had put up this rough structure, but in, in their minds, that was the temple of our God because their structure was the temple of their God. And he said, Craig, he said, they think they just tore down the temple, God's temple. He said, they didn't, they just tore down a building. He said, they don't realize that we're God's temple. Us believers, we are the body of Christ. It was so neat just to, to hear him expressing these things that uh, he had never understood before. Um, another story is of a girl in the first service uh, told a story of a young girl and, and now um, thinking of her cousin um, so these two girls are part of uh, the family. Their, their father and their uncles are all leaders in this cult. So very, they're, they're part of a family that is very, uh, very mad with us, very much against us. And these two girls became believers. And talk about a, a work of Christ um, to take them out of this group, out of this cult, and call, call them to himself, you know. Well, one of the girls, they told her story in the, in the first service, but it, this other girl, uh, her father is probably one of the most, uh, uh, he, he probably hates us the most out of anybody that lives in our village. Uh, well, she became a believer, and she just stood so firm for the gospel. Every single time we met, she was there. She was like, nope, I'm, I want to hear God's word. I'm going to listen to God's word. Um, long story short, I mean, she was ridiculed by her family, cast out by her family, uh, she was actually given um, to the man who burned our house down. Her father took her and gave her to him as a second wife um, as, as part of the payment for burning our house down against her will. Um, she was a young, I don't know, 16, 17-year-old girl. I mean, talk about the persecution and difficulty that she is going through, and yet she's still holding and clinging to the, to the hope she has in Christ, which is so awesome to see. Yeah. So. I'm proud of you guys. Uh, one of the other details of the story was that when they, when their house was burned down and they went back to the tribe, the believers were asking the question whether or not they should go to war over it. Like, what do believers do? 
uh, in this instance and uh, coming to terms with the fact that Christ has called us to love our enemies, right? Not go to war with them. Um, anyways, love what you guys are doing. Proud of you guys and what you're doing. Um, if you want, uh, there'll be a couple of these uh, cards. We just uh, printed out some contact information cards. There'll be some on the table over here. But two things I want to say real quick. If you want to get in the loop and hear uh, more about what they're doing, uh, I'd encourage you to reach out to them that way. But also, um, I'm guessing there's a few more locations near you that need missionaries, right? Lots of little bit. So it's just a real brief 14-year uh, uh, preparation process to get you over there. So you need to get on the stick and uh, get after it. Uh, but uh, yeah, the need is everywhere. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll uh, worship together. God, I do thank you for uh, the power of the message, the gospel, the truth of the freedom that you offer us, the hope that you provide. I thank you for Craig and Shelley and their sacrifice in pursuing uh, your call on their lives. We pray for protection for them and their family. Uh, we pray for uh, the continued advancement of the gospel in their absence right now. God, would you move through them, in them, uh, and in the people that they're reaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.